only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. The word of the Lord comes to us from the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, verses 28 through 39. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am not, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May the Lord bless his word. Will you uh, join me in prayer? Oh Lord, as your people, we ask that we would be a praise to your great name. By the way we live, by the way we encounter the providence that comes to us by the way we deal with what you bring into our lives. We acknowledge that you are sovereign. We acknowledge, as this passage sets forth, that all things work for our good, that all things assist us to conform us to Christ, to bring us to that final day, because you have eternal, an eternal plan for your people. And it will not be denied. 
we acknowledge your sovereignty. And so, Lord, everything that happens to us is a part of that plan. And it has as its guarantee, as its shining authentication, you're giving your own Son for us, which defines everything, which reveals to us our God's commitment. Enable us, Lord, as your people to see, even in difficulty, even in trauma, even in tragedy and disaster, that for your people, these things are not against us, for nothing can be against us, but because you are for us, all things are for us, for our good, to make us into Christ's image. O Lord, enable us to bring honor to you in the midst of it, to bring honor to you by trusting you, bring honor to you by resting, by knowing your shalom and wholeness, by being able to rejoice in your goodness, by focusing upon what you have done for us in Christ, by thinking of your love before time and by remembering and dwelling on the glory that you will certainly bring to your people in that final day. Give us grace, Lord. We will honor your promise, honor your faithfulness, honor your love, and that we will receive these things as, and even the worst of them, as being part of the all things that you freely, graciously give us for our good. Uphold us, Lord, our faith is weak. Forgive us in many ways we have shown our unbelief. Forgive us in the many ways we've demonstrated our worldliness and that we don't value conformity to Christ as much as we value comfort, as much as we want things to work out. But that many times is not our chief desire. And therefore we grumble. And therefore we're shocked. Therefore we think that you're against us because we don't really value what you're doing in us. Help our unbelief, Lord. Pull our hearts from everything that would stand in the way of trust so that we can say with Paul, I count all things as refuse for the sake of knowing Christ and being conformed to Christ. Oh Lord, we pray for those in our midst going through great suffering of different kinds, relational, disease, with family members going through great difficulties, pressures, financial and otherwise. Only you know the many difficulties brought into this place. And Lord, we pray for that grace to know shalom and rest and joy and hope and strength and to be able to give ourselves away to you and to others in the midst of it. To be an honor to your name and to live in the most refreshing, vigorous, liberated way that human beings can live, giving themselves up to the love of God, even in the worst of things. We continue to pray for the treatments for Clay and for Carol, 
we continue to pray, Lord, to uphold them and strengthen them in the midst of great difficulty and pain and sickness. We pray that you would uphold their bodies, that you would bless the treatments, that you would go beyond, Lord, that every scrap of this disease will be removed from their bodies, that you would continually give wisdom and grace. We thank you for what care they are able to have and the excellent care in this area, and we acknowledge that you are the one who, who gives it. Continually fix their hearts upon Christ. Continually refresh them in meditation upon you. And, O oh Lord, may you be the only thing in their landscape, so to speak. And may it straighten everything else out for them. And for there to have no fear, but just a love and a rest in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord, for Brett Dresden, who... Shar's brother, who is flying even now uh, in sorties into Libya. We pray that you would protect him, protect others in this conflict. Uh, Lord, we have so many uh, there in the Mideast in various circumstances with Libya and Afghanistan and Iran. And Oh Lord, we pray, give protection. Uphold those Soldiers and Lord, those who believe in Christ, to draw near to them and enable them to tr- to trust you, to have confidence in you, to have no fear because they are in your hands, and draw others to Christ. Use chaplains in the midst of the military to preach the gospel to others. That this circumstance would be used to draw many. And Lord, we pray for an end of war in that last day. We pray for peace, your shalom to reign in the earth. We pray for righteousness to reign in the Middle East. We pray for your gospel to break out there as well as so many places in the world, Lord. We pray specifically that you would do a work even in our day, in our generation, and the next and the next that is beyond belief, that, that we just can hardly get our mind around that so many hundreds of millions of people who do not know Christ are brought to Christ and the love of God in Christ. And we pray, Lord, for this disaster in Japan, for our many missionaries who are serving there, that you would use them in the midst of this, that, Lord, this would cause a, a cultural breakup in the spiritual sense and a national breakup in the spiritual sense, so that more and more people... And what has been such a closed nation would be open up to the gospel, to the love of God in Christ. Lord, that you would use the love of uh, believers around the world and believers there who minister to those uh, others, uh, the love of God, that you would use this to draw people to Christ. Oh Lord, we look to you who do all things in all places. Your hand of providence of judgment of mercy is upon this earth make us to stand in awe of you lord make us to worship you make us to trust you make us to love you and run after you and give ourselves up to you O glorious god holy 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 lord god almighty and now as we come to seek to understand more of this word bless us in christ we pray amen
This great section, many think most glorious section of Paul that has been written and one of the most glorious uh, pieces of writing in the history of the world, really. Uh, expressing the hope of believers. We, we've already seen and we actually had it in our bulletin in Romans 5 because uh, the beginning of this section of hope, chapter 5, 6, and 7 uh, lead up to 8 and it's all, uh, all four chapters involve hope. This beginning in chapter 5 that we have peace with God because we're justified and we have access to His grace and now we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we can't understand Christianity without understanding that immediately you are brought into a new hope and a new future. It's a new relationship with God that issues in a whole new creation. And so some have said, you know, the word eschaton in the Greek means the end. And there's this big word eschatology, study of the end or the final things. Um, And we'd say particularly those things that involve the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth. But many have said you can't understand Paul's theology unless you understand that his theology is basically eschatology. That is... The teaching about God and, and salvation is how this salvation ultimately brings us into the new heavens and the new earth and has its final issue in the resurrection. And so as Paul's talking about this new life into which we've been brought, there in chapter 5 he says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory to come. That's just, that's just what it is. That's what the Christian life is. Rejoicing in hope of the glory to come. Or as he put it in 1 Thessalonians, as he's writing to them uh, several weeks after he'd been thrown out of Thessalonica. And he's writing back and he says, we, we saw what happened to you that you turned from your idols to serve the, the, the living God and to wait for his son from heaven. It's like your whole life is summarized in that way. You're serving the living God who redeemed you in Christ and you're waiting for his son from heaven. So, here in Romans 8, there is, we, we saw last week this bedrock of God's expressed favor that He loved us before the world began. And He has supremely expressed that love in, in not sparing His Son. And everything is to be measured by that. That if He didn't spare His Son, He'll spare nothing else for us. And then His love also in the fact that in the end, he deeds to us the whole earth. He, he, he conforms us to the very glory and, and kingship of Jesus Christ, that the reign of Christ as a human being is just a token or, or the, the guarantee that we will reign as fellow human beings with him. And so we talked about this being kind of our three-legged stool, you know, of a bedrock of faith that he's loved us before the world. He is bringing us into eternal glory and he has loved us supremely in Christ. And so this first point, the bedrock of his expressed favor in Christ. And we pointed out that we can't read our circumstances uh, as evidence as to whether he loves us or not. And then for us to set some requirement that if he does certain things, then I'll be convinced of his love. We go for days and think, if God would just show me something, some evidence that he loves me. And here's this, you know, 
one church, I understand, has this huge cross right in, I mean, right there in the front. And you have, you can't see the front without looking around the cross. Now, it might be annoying to people, but they made a point that this is the middle of everything. You will not ignore the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a sense, God plants the cross right in the midst of us. And that cross is just staring us in the face. And we're like, I just need for God, you know, to show me that he loves me. (laughs) And there's this huge cross that's just standing there, blaring at you, proclaiming to you. He would, didn't spare his son. He won't spare anything for you. And yet we're, we're looking, you know, for these evidences. So the thing that we talked about is that when we're stripped down to, stripped to, everything is stripped away from us. And we even imagine what would happen if all of your family is gone and you're left dying and bleeding in a dark dungeon awaiting your execution. And even the, the outward providence of God is completely removed from you. Still, he loved me before time. He gave his son. He will bring me into glory. Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can take that away from you. This is the bedrock of his favor in Christ. I uh, was reading in Popular Science, April 11, about the bionic eye. Okay, This is... Uh, People who have degenerative disease of the retina, 1.5 million have this disease. And so they're in Germany, they're experimenting and have found success. It's not on the market yet, but they've found success with this device. I have a metal coil that's implanted in your ear, and it is powered by a battery that you have external to you, radio power to that coil. And then... It's a little bit queasy here, but there's a wire that runs along your skull into a chip, three by three millimeter, milliliter, that's implanted in your retina. In the retinal, retinal material, you know, right where the, uh, the, the cones, uh, cones and what? Rods and cones, right? The photoreceptors, 130 million of them, right? That's how many are in the eye. But they're degenerative. So this little thing is powered by that coil and it receives enough image and transmits it to the retina, which then goes to the optic nerve to give 10% sight to people. So people who are completely blind now can tell the difference between a spoon and a fork. They can see emotion on someone's face and they're even beginning to read words. People that were blind. And I think for you and me, There's this kind of bionic eye for us to see reality, to see it from its true perspective. You might say a reality eye, an eye that brings together what's happening to me and the cross so that they're never split in my vision. But I see this circumstance and I see immediately and associate it with always united. This is the same hand that was crucified for me. The God who gave his son is the God who controls this circumstance. And we never let those be split apart. We need that spiritual eye of the cross. And what happens to us, piece by piece at times, is that bitterness doles us over time against even God's outward goodness that we can see. 
and we become cold to it. It's interesting how for some people, the outward providence of God can be all around you. It can be recent and constant, ongoing and pervasive. And so you've not only got the cross, but there are all these things around you, but you and I don't recognize it. I can't see it for what it is. It doesn't translate God's goodness to me. It's like a foreign language and I can't understand it, even though it's obvious that I'm being encouraged and cherished, even honored, but I can't recognize it for what it is. Because this one thing that has gripped me and made me bitter over time that God would not do for me and still is not doing for me, it snuffs everything out in your life. It blankets everything with darkness. And it defines my life. I allow an event or an ongoing condition to define my life instead of the love of God in Christ. And so it becomes my God. It becomes my whole world. And I start from that standpoint and say, everything else means this. And that's how bitterness can lay hold of us. It, it's kind of a, a spiritual leprosy, you know, that sets in. You know how leprosy is, uh, you lose feeling in your extremities and your, your feet and toes and you begin losing members if you, you're not careful because you don't know when they're being hurt. And... That's how this is, a kind of spiritual leprosy where we're dulled even to the very things that God is doing and certainly dulled to and, and to even hear about the cross of Christ. It just doesn't mean anything to us. It doesn't translate. It doesn't help us. And so we must pray, God, give me faith. Lord, keep me from being hardened. That's specifically what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3. Take care lest in any one of you there be an evil heart of unbelief. Beware of being the deceitfulness of the hardness, hardening of sin. That would be deceived to think that this does is, is what my life means. Would be hardened to this magnificent work of God. And yet, because of unbelief, because of bitterness taking over our lives, it lands on with a thud against our hearts. Um, if you liken it to mountain climbing, um, it, it can be like I, I'm always amazed with people who go up a sheer cliff, you know. And I didn't do very well on a rock wall that's got clear things, you know, years ago. I was embarrassed by my own children that just scampered up, you know. <laughs> but Amazing that people will take the tiny little tohos, little seams in the rock, and pull themselves off up and find another and another and just scale what seems to be a sheer wall. And that's what it seems like for us many times. It seems like a sheer cliff face of the indifference of God. But as God gives you faith, you you see the cross and you even begin to see other providences and you interpret life correctly and you find those toe-holes and those finger-holes and you mount with faith toward the glory of God. God must give us that faith. I'm so encouraged by the Canaanite woman described in Matthew 15 was crying to the Lord Jesus, Have mercy on me. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And he didn't answer her. 
There's that sheer cliff wall. No response from Jesus. That ever happened? You pray. God hasn't answered my prayer. God must not be listening to me. I don't see any results of this. The disciples came and begged him, send her away. She's crying out after us. Now, they didn't really have compassion. It's like, Jesus, this is kind of embarrassing. This woman's yelling, driving us crazy. Everybody's looking. You just need to get rid of her. You know, that's their attitude. Please do something about this woman. And then he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Talk about mean sounding, you know. What? Oh, okay, so I'm not good enough. You just, you know, she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And then listen to this. This doesn't even sound like the Jesus you and I think about. It's not right to take the children's bread, that is Israel's bread, and get and throw it to the dogs. She's a Gentile. I mean, a dog was not your nice little pet in that society. You know, like saying, throw it to the hogs or something worse. And in the face of everything that seemed against her, in the face of God himself seeming to say, I don't really care about your situation. And, and this really isn't for you. At least everything on the surface looked like Jesus did not intend to help her. And yet he did. <laughs> and yet he loved her. And yet he was devoted to her good. And he knew she would say this. She said, yeah, Lord, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs from the table. <laughs> what a brilliant thing. What a wonderful thing to say. I may be a dog, but remember, they get the crumbs. Feed me. Give to me. I know you want to. I know who you are. Save my daughter. And then Jesus said, Oh, woman, great is your faith. You see, Jesus is delighted when his providence seems to blare out in trombone blasts. Sorry, Jacob plays the trombone. <laughs> but it blares out in trombone blasts that God has turned his back. And yet in the midst of that providence, in the midst of that sheer face, we believe his promise. We believe what he's declared he is to us. We believe in what he's done in Christ. We look to the favor of God promised us in Christ. We trust in the way we began our worship that your mercies are new every morning. Oh, that's pleasing to God. It honors him. It honors him when we trust him in this way. But then it's interesting that for us, we can be so embittered that instead of a sheer cliff wall, really providentially, you might say, there's this wide staircase that's leading up. But we look at the staircase and we say, I think there's some moss on it. I might slip. I think there's a little water trickling down. I might, I might slip on that. I don't like the smell of that. I can't see around the first bend. I'm not sure what's up there. You know, we'll find anything wrong if we're looking for it. But by God's grace, in the midst of the worst things, we'll find those toehoes. We'll trust Him. So some climb up in the midst of terrible deprivation and become more and more like Christ, believing in the goodness of God. 
Others can be surrounded by even outward providential signs of his goodness, but still don't trust in that goodness. So, you know, as you've heard before, it's not what's out there. It's it's what's in here, right? It's it's not a circumstance that's good or bad. That's, That's never the issue. It's always how we're looking at what we're facing. And so, again, that whole topic of the bedrock of God's favor and laying hold of that and trusting that and guarding against uh, being embittered. Secondly, we've looked at the meaning of our suffering, and I've added a word this week, the meaning and purpose of our suffering. The meaning we talked about was that we are united to Christ. We are, we are joined to Him. And, it's, and that means that we're joined to the pathway that, that Christ went. It's a pathway of suffering and then glory. And so if we are suffering, then we're just we're part of that. As, as Calvin himself said, oh, you don't want to suffer, then you don't want to be a part of the elect because this is what God's called them to. This is, this is the meaning of your relationship to Christ, that you are joined to him and you're manifesting that union. But then I want to underscore again from this passage the purpose of suffering, the purpose of everything that comes to us. And again, it's, it's found there in the, the verse right after all things work together that we're to be conformed to the image of his son. And so, as we said some weeks back when we were talking about this passage, the good that he's talking about is not Comfort, it's not things turning out well physically or circumstantially. The one good that he's talking about is being conformed to Christ. And then finally, glorified and completely conformed to Christ. And so, can anyone say then that suffering prevents your being conformed to Christ? I don't think anybody would say, well, yeah, if I suffer, there's no chance then that I could be conformed to Christ. Uh, in fact, we know that there, because of unbelief, it could do that, but that means we're actually, I'd put it this way, abusing our suffering. You realize that? That we can abuse our suffering? We can re- attack it, we can use it against God, and we can use it as an excuse to refuse God. But suffering itself is a tool, and If we know that he's working to that end, then we can say, Lord, do your work in me. Even in the Old Testament, before the giving of of the Son in the flesh, who was our example in the flesh, the psalmist was able to say in Psalm 119, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. What do you think was most important to him? Being comfortable or keeping his word? He said, He wasn't sitting there saying, gosh, I'm glad that affliction's over. So much better now that it's over. He says, gosh, before I was afflicted, here's my condition. Now, because of it, I keep your word. He's saying, I grew in grace because of this affliction. I grew in trust and obedience because of this affliction. That's in verse 67. A few verses later, in verse 71, he says, It's good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. And a few verses later, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. And so the meaning of suffering is that we are joined to Christ and and we are walking his path. But the purpose is that conformity. 
to Christ. And here's the stark truth. God values conformity to Christ above everything else in your life. Now, we don't get that, do we, a lot of times. He values conformity to Christ more than anything else in my life. And that means anything else may come or go because it has that end. And at times, I value other things more than conformity to Christ. And sometimes that's why I would read God's providence against me. And sometimes I can be relentless in this. People can be relentless in this. Sometimes people can be so relentless in this that their bitterness finally overtakes their life and hardens them in complete unbelief. And they show in the end, I didn't want conformity to Christ. I didn't. And I won't take it. I won't take this set of providences because I don't want conformity to Christ. I want my life to work out. I want my life to be these things. And so we've got, uh, we've got to realize that for that person, for us, if that happens to us, Christ is not precious enough. Christ is not worth it. It's so much like Israel in the wilderness when they've been brought out of Egypt and they have God all to themselves. And they're like, I understand that. I got it. I'm with God. See the cloud, see the fire, uh, I see the tabernacle, I see water from the rock. But frankly, I don't want to be here. I'd like to eat some vegetables back in Egypt. I'd like to, you know, be a... I mean, they left slavery and they were out there and had God to themselves in the wilderness, but they didn't like being in the wilderness. They didn't trust this God. They didn't want to be with this God. So like you're eating a salad and your dog's just sitting there looking up at you, please, please, please give me something. You, you show him a piece of lettuce and you know, he blows out with his nose to indicate, I don't want that odor even in there. You know, it's just this. I've seen dogs do that. Like instead of sniffing, they're like, you know, get that out of here. And, and honestly, we can be like that dog looking up to God, hoping he's going to fix some circumstance, change our lives, make it work out in some way, instead of the thing that he's eating, so to speak, the thing that he would give us is conformity to Christ. It's conformity to Christ. Now, we in America, of all people, of all people should say, in addition to that, we have been given the greatest riches and pleasures and comforts in the whole history of the world and the whole world itself. I mean, it's not as though we're all, I'm talking to you all and we're in a prison somewhere facing execution and our things have been taken away from us. Not quite there yet. But still... We can be hardened and not realize this is what God is out for us, to conform us to Christ. It's interesting if you uh, look at how, God, uh, how Paul has constructed this passage. He begins chapter 5 verse 1 with this phrase, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? He ends the section 5 through 8, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, the full name of Christ. At the end of each chapter, 
which are sections, and they've rightly divided this, the chapters of Paul. At the end of chapter 5, through Jesus Christ our Lord. At the end of chapter 6, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the end of chapter 7, um, I, through, uh, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ our Lord begins it. Jesus Christ our Lord ends it. Jesus Christ our Lord is at the end of each section of it. Everything is pointing to Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why later in Romans 14, he says, None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. To this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, Whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And he says, he's died that we would live no longer for ourselves, but for Christ. So this conformity to Christ, this Christ is the whole point of this section and, and the whole point of God's providences, the whole point of what he's doing in our lives. It's Christ Jesus, our Lord. As Wright has says, God's plan from the start was to create a Christ-shaped family that we would all be younger siblings of the firstborn. That's what's happening. That's what this is about. And everything else has to be secondary. Everything else has to find its place for this one purpose of manifesting Christ. And so in every day, in every circumstance when I face difficulty, it's simply this, Lord, how might I please you? How might I manifest your character, O oh God? How, how might I be an image of Christ? How might I come to know you in this and glorify you in this and bring you praise? How can I show by how I deal with this how great you are, how wonderful your promises are, how faithful you are, how trustworthy your steadfast love, how indeed I believe you're the God whose mercies are new every morning. Oh Lord, give me grace. Show forth your praise by my life. And it's a, it's a difficult life. It's hard. It, it's interesting that the life of the Spirit, in one place in chapter 8, he says he's bringing about in our hearts this cry, Abba, Father, so that we, we have a confidence in uh, who... He is to us, our Father. But then he says the Spirit also is bringing about groanings that can't even be uttered in verses 26 and 27, where we don't even know what to pray for. (laughs) We're so broken and confused. He says the Spirit's in the middle of that too. It's a hard life. It's difficult. It's difficult to believe. It is like climbing a sheer cliff. But it is the, the theater in which we bring glory to Him and theater in which we grow liberated and free to walk in His love. And I end with this. The, so the first thing, this bedrock of God's uh, faithfulness in Christ and then the, the very purpose of suffering, the, the meaning of it and the very purpose to conform us to Christ. And then finally, just to leave you with this, that... It's God's love that carries the day. It's God's love that carries the day. The greatest theme of this paragraph 
is simply the love of God, right? He loved us before time began. He, he loved us in Christ. He says in verse 35, <clears throat> who will separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, we're conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 39, who will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? That's the theme, is the unbreakable, unquenchable love of God. One said, this topic is a vast sea to put into a small bottle. Far better to swim in it or to set sail upon it. (laughs) This love of God. And learning to write, 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 write this. Learning to look at the cross and to see there the strong evidence of how much one is loved is among the most basic and vital Christian disciplines. So well said. To see there the strong evidence of how much one is loved. This is among the most basic and vital Christian disciplines. Matched by opening one's heart and life to the tidal wave of that love. Displacing all other rivals. And when, and this is an important phrase because so many of us have been hurt in one way or another by people, by Adults when we were young by even our own moms and dads. He says, and when with or without specific human loves to incarnate it, human beings discover afresh that they're loved, embraced by this God. You see, even if there's been a failure in humankind and specifically in your life to incarnate the love of God as it's properly to be incarnated by family in the light. Even if it hasn't happened, you, God still reveals himself and makes you taste and trust in and gradually be healed by and made whole by the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so it is this love of God. And it, I tell you, we're talking about this last night that scriptures are so honest. A few weeks ago, we dealt with Psalm 90 in our staff devotions. And it's so striking as he's contemplating the condition of mankind after the fall. And he talks about how our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. He just goes on and on about the the fact that we are under wrath in this world. We don't really like to think that honestly about life. Psalm 90 is very sobering. But in the midst of Psalm 90, he says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So in this world under God's judgment in general... This world, then there's so many evidences of the wrath that lies upon us as mankind. The curse really is extended in some way into every corner of our lives, affects and afflicts almost everything we do in some way, everything we are, everything we do. And yet in the midst of it has entered the mercy of God in Christ. You see, that's a realistic view of life. We live in a world under the wrath of God, but in His grace, He has entered into this world through Jesus Christ. 
And Christ is sweetening our lives. And Christ is so bringing light to us that this light goes to others as well. But here's the... And so for, for us, even in the midst of this cursed world, there is this growing toward God, this, this becoming like Christ, this joy and love, this thing of which God satisfies us with His steadfast love. And in the midst of all that we face, we live lives of strength and joy and love. But what's so terrible is if we're on the other side of that equation, if, if you refuse this love of God, if you refuse this God, then instead of all things being for you, no matter how much it may look that things are for you, all things ultimately will be against you if you refuse God. We could put it this way. If God is against you, what is for you in the end? If God is against you, even the best things that happen to you in life, even when you enjoy them, you're not going to praise Him in them. You're not going to praise Him for them. You will not enjoy Him in enjoying those things. And you push Him away even as you try to embrace His creation. Paul says in Romans 2, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself. See, enjoying God's good things and refusing Him and all things are working to your destruction because you refuse Him. And in the end, you're storing up wrath. You know, when we see capricious disasters in this world, we see chaos and heartache and loss. It's still mixed with God's mercy in this, in this life. In the next life, under judgment, it will not be mixed with God's mercy. There will be no signs of His kind presence, no overtures of grace, no pleading that you come to God. Don't worry. No one will ever bother you again. No one will ever bother you with the words of Christ You'll be sunk into an irremediable hatred of God and others. Our friend Nancy Dragoo went through a terrible series of events and she suffered post-traumatic syndrome, syndrome and she lost her taste buds. Weird. Lost her taste buds. She said, I never would have thought how terrible and how disorienting that was to me. I lost so many memories that were tied to taste. She said, I felt like I was disconnected, alienated from my own life. And I fear that that's so much of what hell is. Being eternally disoriented and alienated, disjointed and unhinged, disintegrated as a human being. Because we have refused to be made whole by a gracious God who went so far as to even give His Son for us. Oh, I urge you, don't turn from this God who so offers Himself to you in Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, the stakes in life are high. 
it really is all or nothing. Either for those who are called by you, those who trust you, and in your grace you've brought us, because we would have refused you had you not brought us to yourself. And every person who comes to you, it's because of your mercy and not anything in us. Lord, these two pathways in which no matter how terrible things are, all things are assisting us to this good of being conformed to Christ. Or if we refuse you, we refuse to trust you, refuse your love, we turn away from you and ignore you and try to get life out of this world apart from you, then even the best things that happen, and one after another after another, are assisting not in our good, but in our final destruction. For we've rejected the God who gives it all. And we've rejected His offering of His own Son. Oh Lord, turn hearts this morning to trust in Christ. Turn hearts to put themselves in the hands of this God who is infinitely trustworthy, who will be so committed to us, mercies will flow like waves of the sea, day in, day out, minute by minute, hour by hour. Oh Lord, turn our hearts, grant us faith, call us to Yourself, May we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?